Well, we're continuing on our series today called Elephants in the Room. And uh, I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be looking briefly at chapter 1 and then uh, over in chapters 10 and 11 of 1 Corinthians. Um, Last week, we talked about pride and selfishness. And um, as I mentioned, this isn't uh, a series uh, or even a sermon. I have to admit, I don't wake up on Sunday mornings going, woohoo, I get to preach about this today. And yet it's something that I truly believe that God has for us to hear and to step through and to chew on. Um, Growing in our maturity of faith, uh, it's good to uh, take an assessment of what's going on in our hearts and in our lives and look at some hard things. When we talk about elephants in the room, those are those things that uh, are are problems or difficulties that uh, typically no one wants to talk about. Um, These are famous in families. Families have elephants in the room. Those things that are just going on that are problems or or difficulties that no one wants to talk about. Corporations are famous for elephants in the room. Uh, Things that uh, aren't going right that no one truly wants to address or talk about. And as I mentioned last week, families are are this way too. and, uh, And also churches. Churches are notorious for things. So last week, pride and selfishness. This week, disunity and division. Disunity and division. And you don't have to go far in Scripture to find that that this gets addressed. It's not a new problem, and yet it's not one that people say, hey, let's talk about disunity and division. But today, we're going to do that. There's a story of, uh, I'm sure you've heard about, uh, it's a story of a, of a man who was, who was stranded on a, on a deserted island, and he'd been there for years and years and years, and somehow it had survived, and that, well, one day, off in the distance, out on the horizon, he sees a ship, he sees a smokestack, he sees a ship, well, he collects all of his firewood together, and he lights it, and, and he starts sending up these smoke signals just so that it could be seen, well, the the ship gets closer and closer and finally close enough where they see that he's on this island and needs rescuing. So they put a, uh, a rescue boat out and, and they, they bring this little boat close to the shore and a couple people get out onto the shore and this man who's been stranded on this deserted island for years just runs up and says, oh man, I've been here for years. Thank you, thank you, thank you for finally coming and rescuing me. And and the rescuers, they step out on this beach and they look around and they say, well, how many, you know, how long have you been here? And he said, I've been here a long time. I can't tell you exactly, but I've been here a long, long, long time. And they, they start asking him, well, how did you survive for this many years? And he talks about the food he's gathered and, and how he's tried to make the best out of a bad situation. In fact, how he's, he's made it home and uh, he points up onto the hill, up onto the ridge, and he says, you'll, you'll notice my, uh, my house is up there. I built this hut, and it has all the comforts that, that I, I could need on this island. There's this, this, uh, this place I call home, and, and even though I, I've longed to get off this island, I've made the best of it, and there's this, this, hut, this hu- house up on this, this hill, and 
the rescuers look up and they see two other buildings up there. And they're kind of scratching their heads. And so they inquire of the man. They say, well, what are those two other buildings up on the, on the, the, the ridge there next to your house? He says, well, the one on the left is, is my church. It's, it's where I worship. It's where I, I go and I meet with God and I commune with Him and, and I connect with Him. And they're scratching their heads. Well, then what's the other building there? And he says, oh, that's the church I used to go to. It just kind of happens that way, right? We, we, we get in conflict. We, we fall out of unity. And, and it's almost notorious. It's almost epidemic. To a point where we... And the reason why you laughed is because it's fairly close to the truth, right? Well, we've landed in Paul's letters uh, to the Corinthians a lot lately. And if you've noticed a, a, a bit of a theme, there, there is, primarily because this was a church, I mentioned it last week, this is a church that, that wasn't shy to its community. It was a church that remained connected in that, uh, in that pagan city and in the environment around. They didn't feel like they needed to run to the hills and uh, be monastic, separate themselves from their community. And I mentioned last week, and I'll mention again today, that with that, when a church chooses to do that, it comes with problems. There's some inherent problems and hurdles and struggles that need to be overcome. There are things that happen just by virtue of being closely knit with the community that a church is in. And that's why I believe a lot of churches, a lot of Christians choose to isolate themselves from their community. But let me tell you, as your pastor, I want to restate that I'm committed and we as a church are committed to wade into the junk and the stuff and the tension and the messiness of our community and in our society. We can go into details about that, but, but I truly believe that like Jesus, we open ourselves up to fall under the scrutiny of Pharisees who say, like they said of Jesus in Matthew 11, the Son of Man feasts and drinks. He's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was accused of being close to those in the community. Jesus was accused of being one with his environment. And tr we truly open ourselves up to those accusations as well. And this is a picture of Jesus not shying away from those in need, but moving toward them. I love Mark chapter 2. It says that the healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. The healthy people aren't the ones who need Christ to come in and meet with them. But the sick people do. Those without Christ need him. You see, this is a volatile place in which God has called us to. And there are things that we need to talk about. There are things we need to guard against. And there are things that we need to fight for in order that we would continue to be the church and the people who God's called us to be. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I love how Paul starts this letter to this church. I mentioned uh, last week that, that his second letter begins with it. It's just saying, this is a hard letter. 
This is a difficult letter for me to write, but, but can I be honest with you about a few things? Well, here I want to expose just this affinity that Paul had for this church and the people who were in it. In verse 4 of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, he says this. He says, every time I think of you, and I think of you often, I thank God for your lives of free and open access to God given by Jesus. There's no end to what, he, to what has happened in you. It's beyond speech, beyond knowledge. The evidence of Christ has been clearly verified in your lives. And I'd like to encourage you today, in the same way that Paul was encouraging the Corinthian church, thank you for being a church that, that draws close to the Lord. It's evident in your life. A few weeks back on Serve Sunday, it was, it was extremely evident that the love of Jesus Christ is flowing in you and through you. And so Paul has this love and this care, this affinity for this church, and yet he's bold enough to, to talk about the elephants in the room. And likewise, I believe that as a pastor, I'm called to do the same, to talk about some of these elephants in the room in the same way that Paul was talking to the Corinthian church. So turn over to verse 10 of chapter 1, and he continues on in a, in a more general sense, and he's, he's going to land the plane and get a little more specific in a moment here. But in verse 10 of chapter 1, he says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with one another. Let there be no division in the church. Rather, be of one mind, United in thought and purpose, for some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels. And he focuses in on that. He says, there's quarreling going on. My dear brothers and sisters, some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. I follow Christ. And he asks this rhetorical question, has Christ been divided into factions? So he's addressing something that's going on within the church. There are some who are on this side of the, the aisle. There's some who are on that side of the aisle. There's some who are following this person and that person. And, and, and they're, they're proclaiming that their teaching and, the, and the, uh, the, the growth of their Christian faith is due to this one person's teaching, and that is elevated over this other person's teaching. And there's the haves and the have-nots and the... the those people on this side and those people on that side, and it was starting to eat into the unity of the church. And so he begins with this generality, generality of saying, hey, listen, there's some problems. There's quarreling going on. Turn over to chapter 11, 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 11, he, he steps uh, into a little bit more specific illustration, a specific example of what he means by this. And that some are feeling more self-entitled. Some are feeling um, better than others. And this is starting to creep its way into the church. In verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says this. And you talk about addressing elephants in the room. Here he goes. He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. That's the easy way or the, the um, kind of nice way of saying, hey, listen, we got problems. He says, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. There are divisions among you. You're saying, well, what are the divisions he's talking about? And if you read on a little further, here's what was going on, and it really related around the Lord's Supper. 
This communion that we experienced this morning, back then they had a, a similar um, uh, gathering in those days. It was a meal that they would participate in. It wasn't just a, a piece of bread and, and a, a little bit of juice, or in those days, a, a wine to, to drink. It was in fact a meal. And they would come together and it was something that they were supposed to do. It was a directive from the Lord, this do in remembrance of me until I come again celebrate this meal together. And that was the directive. And yet in this Corinthian church, this is what was going on. And we could put it in today's um, uh, environment of, of communion happening here at Crossroads. It would be as if you showed up at 9 a.m. here on Sunday and uh, you were expecting communion to take place and uh, Pastor Barry led us uh, in worship and, and uh, um, we had an a, a encouraging word from Greg and, uh, and you got out of your seat and you walked up to the front and what you found was crumbs and empty glasses with just a little bit in the bottom you know, after somebody had already drank it and put it back in. And that's all that was there. And, you know, you kind of look and you turn away and you maybe come up to me sitting in the front row and going, hey, what's the deal, pastor? Did we forget to buy juice or what? I, oh, oh, we forgot to tell you. There were, there were some important people in the church and we met an hour ago. And we had communion without you. And, and I tell you, we, we just... You know, one glass of juice wasn't enough, so we just kind of went through and we drank it all. And one thing of bread wasn't enough, so we just ate it all. And, and sorry, we, we just kind of forgot to tell you, but we'll fix it next month. Or next time we have communion. Well, next time we have communion, it's the exact same thing. Well, that's, that's kind of our version of it. What was happening back then was, was kind of the elite were showing up before the, the general populace of the church. And in this meal, they were getting drunk on the wine and they were gorging themselves with the food. They were eating all the food, they were finishing off the dinner and the dessert and everything like that, leaving nothing but scraps and finishing off all the wine. So much so that when the regular population came in, there was nothing left. And Paul is going, listen, something is wrong here. For one, the whole premise of the Lord's Supper is that you do it together as a congregation, as, a, as an entity. There is no um, people who are above the, the others. There are no others that are below. We are all one in the body of Christ. And he's saying something is wrong here. This is evidence and in, indicative that there are problems going on here in the church. Some of you are going on ahead. Some of you are leaving others behind. And it really comes down to an heart, a heart issue. He says one gets drunk, another goes hungry. Some of you feel that you're the important one and ones and you have disdain for the others and there's this evidence of selfishness and disunity. Then he goes on to give this illustration of the body of Christ. And he talks about the body of Christ and that we all have a purpose and a part and a place. And he, in a sarcastic mode, he clicks into and he gives this picture of a grotesquely disfigured body in in chapter 12, he goes on to talk about if, if the whole body were an eye, where would the, the sense of seeing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of, uh, of smell be? 
As, as, you know, as God puts all these parts and pieces in the body, he hasn't caused us all to be one part. He hasn't, he's built us with diversity. He's built us with, with different levels. And, and what, what they were doing by, by setting apart some groups and, and leaving others behind, it was saying, you know, only the ones with a certain gift are important. These other gifts aren't. The hand is the most important. The foot is worthless. So we might as well just disregard the foot. And what Paul is saying is, you know what? If we were all a hand, if we were just a body that was a hand, we couldn't function because there's no arm to help it out. There's no heart to pump the blood. There's, there's no sight to actually help it grab something. Every part of the body is important, not just one, not just you. And so even in this practice of gathering together in the Lord's Supper, it is something that includes everyone. And like Paul, moving from this general subject of, you know what, there's division, and as he hones into a more specific example of where they were missing the mark, I believe the same is true for us. There's this warning. Listen, be aware of the disunity. Be aware of the divisions that will creep into Crossroads Church. But I believe that we can also be a little bit more specific when it comes to those things that we need to be aware of on the general side of things. I think we need to be aware of our preference of worship styles and worship songs and worship music. And oh, this lyric said this. And we're singing a lot of songs on grace and not much on truth. And we're singing a lot of songs about, about God, but not much of our relationship. We, we're doing much of this and not of this. And it, it comes down to a lot of preference, doesn't it? We need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of theology. It's, it's funny how one mentor of mine years ago said, you know, there used to be a day and age when churches would split over theology, but sadly, a lot of churches don't know enough theology today to split over. It doesn't mean that knowing our theology to the point of bringing differences in is good, but at the same time, being aware that even our theology is something that can divide us. Your educational choices, whether your kids go to a public school or a private school or your home school, the towns and the cities and the schools that you live in or attend, your economic status, something that for generations has crept into churches, the car you drive, your kid's athletic ability or music abilities or lack thereof, the social media, the passive cyberbullying that goes on, all of these things within the context of a church that divide us. The clothes you wear, the clothes you don't wear, the, the jewelry you wear, the perfume you wear, whatever it is, it's very easy to have this opinion of this is the in-group and this is the out-group. Being a little bit more specific, maybe stepping on some toes in that. I was just praying about some of these things that are maybe divisive when it comes to us as a congregation. And a few things came to mind. This isn't an exhaustive list by any means. But I believe that sometimes those are with resources. Um, if I can just pause and talk to those who have resources, and I don't just mean finances. I talk about spiritual resources as well. Maybe some um, knowledge and educational resources as well. It's very easy to fall into a patronizing point of view and to a patronizing type of, of attitude. 
that you're always on the giving side. You know, I talked years ago about uh, we get to this point in our spiritual lives and we feel like we've passed from the point of receiving and now we are a giving person. We're on the giving side of the equation. But I think it's important for us to know that no matter how much we grow in our faith and no matter how much we grow closer to God, we're always in a receiving mode. And I, years ago I talked about the fact that we were all givers and we're all receivers. So much so that I believe that the kids of this church have as much to give as they do to receive. And we as adults have as much to receive as we have to give. But I believe that when we have this place and we get to this place where we have resources on board, we feel like we're in this category of giving. And we don't feel like people in that other category have anything to give to us and we have nothing to receive. And I want to guard against that because it's divisive. On the other side, those without resources or those who are maybe on the, the side of, of deficiency or you feel like you don't have the resources that you should, it's easy to look on dis, uh, others with disdain and maybe animosity or it's maybe to have a, an attitude of poor me. And I want us to guard against that as well. I, I want to encourage you to be a giver. Even though you don't feel like you have the resources on board, even though you don't feel like you're spiritually mature, or maybe you've walked with the Lord as many years as that other person, I want you to know that you are important to the kingdom of God and you're important to Crossroads Church and you have something to give. Every single person in this church, no matter how long you've known the Lord or how short you've walked with Him, you have something to give. You have something to contribute. And I want to encourage you in that. Those are two areas that I feel are, are very easy areas to, to put a wedge and divide our congregation. I want us as a congregation to be aware of inadvertent uh, exclusion. Let me explain this. Uh, a few times it's, it's come up and, and I mentioned uh, um, social media and that. Um, I know that we don't intend it, or maybe you do, hopefully you don't intend to do this, but uh, little things like this often bother me, and if they bother me, chances are it's just me, no, um, chances are it might bother you too. But have you ever been uh, out with somebody for lunch, and, uh, and you've had a great lunch and that, and then the, the next day you see a post that that person has gone out for lunch with someone else, and the, the social media post is, I just had lunch with the most awesome person in the entire world. The day after they had lunch with you. <laughs> uh, guaranteed, it, it wasn't deliberate. But you see where I'm going with that. Oftentimes, when we amplify something, we, we um, uh, indirectly minimize something else. And I, want us to, I don't want us to be paranoid of things like this, but I want us to be aware of how we couch things. I just met the most spiritually in-tuned person, which means the ten people I met beforehand are spiritual duds. You know, those things that we say, but by not saying. And I, I know that's opening up a huge can of worms. And like I said, I don't want us to be paranoid everywhere we go to, to uh, you know, kind of fall into this, this gray area or this kind of um, lukewarm area of not being excited about anything. But as we're talking things up, can we think of by doing this, are, you know, are we offending somebody? Are we hurting somebody? Are we causing division? And truly be aware of the people around us. 
being pro-something, extremely pro-something, causes the impression that we are extremely anti-other things. And be, be aware of those things, prayerfully aware of how we communicate, how we talk certain things up. And by doing so, are you talking other things down, or in fact, other people down? There's a struggle, and this separation and segregation and division that comes into the church. You know, Acts chapter 2 talks about this community that was together and they were one in, in one accord and they had things in common. And I want us to continue to move into a place like that. Uh, Ephesians 4 talks about this. We don't have time to jump in this today, but if you throw Ephesians 4 up there, verse 2 in particular, it says this, it says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity in the Spirit through the bond of peace. And I just want to touch on those four things in verse 2. Humble and gentle. Be patient with one another. Bearing with one another in love. Place a priority on those four things. Be humble and gentle. Make a priority of those things. In conclusion today, I want us to look at really two conclusions and one prayer. These are in your bulletin, and there's some blanks in here that I'd love to just address. But in talking about this elephant in the room of division and disunity and moving closer to keeping the unity in the bond of peace, here's a couple of conclusions that I'd like us to make and to, to identify today. And the first one is this. Disagreement is not the same as disunity. Disagreement is not the same as disunity. Something, some people think we have to agree on every single thing in order to have unity, in order to have affinity with one another. And that is not the case. We confuse uniformity with unity. We, we believe that in order to be unified, we all have to be homogenous. We all have to look and breathe and, and talk and smell and all this alike. And as much as you all have, have tried to um, uh, you know, pull me over to the dark side of saying y'all and all y'all and that, some of my Canadianisms will still come out. And I know you love me. You see, conformity doesn't, isn't required for unity. I love, uh, you may have noticed uh, from uh, our, our, our fall uh, festival, our Halloween event that we had out there, I love the woods, Zach and Terry, they were sitting there and they had the football theme going on and she was in her Dallas Cowboys um, uh, uniform or, or her jersey and he was in his, uh, in his uh, Green Bay Packers one and they were sitting there side by side and, and I tell you, um, he, he was getting it in the chops for wearing his Green Bay Packers, but you know what? There they are in the same family, and they like different teams, in fact, love different teams. And case in point, that, that conformity is not, necessarily, not necessary for unity. And there are going to be different likes and whims and different interests, even within the body of Christ here. And we have to be keen to realize that that doesn't divide us. That there's unity in the body of Christ, even though we might not all talk Texan in this place, okay? The second uh, conclusion is differing points of view do not make you incompatible. Differing points of view don't make you incompatible. And let me just say this and add to it that differing points of view do not make you enemies. You don't have to hate the person who has a differing point of view, no matter how much our society would make you believe that that has to be the case. In fact, Dana and I have a lot of differing points of view. 
And yet, you know what? That makes me a better person. And I'd like to think it makes her a better person. And I'd like to think even within this room, people who think differently than I do make me a better person. And as I think different from you, I make you a better person. And it makes us all better people because of it. You know, if, if uh, someone once said, if we're all identical, if we're the same, one of us is disposable. One of us is unnecessary. That's why this unity in the body of Christ, even though we're diverse and even though we have differences, is so very, very important. I'm inviting our worship team to come and join me. And I want to end with a prayer. A prayer that I believe that the Lord has for us, obviously, because He prayed this. And it's found in John chapter 17. And this is Jesus as He is moving toward the cross. And He is moving uh, to the, the cross and to His death and His resurrection and His ascension. He prays for His disciples, but then He even prays for the church. He prays for us, those who would come thousands of years later and take a look at this prayer that He has for us, for Crossroads Church today. Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also, so not for them alone being the disciples, but I pray also for those who will believe in Me through their message. Do we have this up on the screen? Did it go away? I think our screens might have died. Anyways, John 17, it says that all of them may be one. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Does it go on? I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be as one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they might be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and I have loved them even as you have loved me. This is Jesus praying for the church. He's praying for us. He knows and understands that there will be opportunity for the evil one to come in and bring division. Church, we need to fight against it. I'm inviting you to stand with me. We're running up against the end of our service, and uh, I know some of you need to pick up some kids. So I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Barry to dismiss us. We're going to have our altar team at the front, and uh, we'd love to uh, provide some ministry for you, if we could do that. And truly, when it comes to this, I encourage you, I encourage each and every one of us to examine our hearts. That really where, that's really where it comes down to examining our hearts, looking inside and going, is there something between me and a brother of mine? Is there something between me and a sister of mine? And if there is, it's up to us to go to them and make it right. So let me pray. Pastor Barry's going to dismiss us. And if we can pray and provide some ministry for you, we'd love to do that. Lord Jesus, make us one. Even as you and the Father are one. And Lord, there's many things that would come in and pull us apart, but Lord Jesus, I pray that we'd fight for unity. We'd understand that uh, different points of view and disagreements don't mean that we have to hate each other or move away from each other, but we can work those things out and that Christ is the center because Christ is love. And so Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We want to say how much we love you and we want you to speak move us into a more God-honoring place. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.